Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 472nd show is Dr. Sam Jackson, Assistant Professor in the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity at the University of Albany. And we're going to be talking about his book, Oath Keepers, Patriotism and the Edge of Violence in a Right-Wing Anti-Government Group. Our history buffs today are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. Brett, start us off. One of the things that you said during the uh, radio portion of the program was that we we don't have a lot of good data on the group. We don't know much about demographics or, or membership. Will the um, January 6th investigation and, and the court cases um, resulting from that, do you think help uh, bring some of that into a more public view? Yes and no. Um, over the past couple of years, we've actually seen some um, data of, of sort of uncertain provenance that has come out that claims to be about membership lists. Um, if I remember correctly, it was about a year and a half or maybe two years ago, um, Mike Giglio wrote a piece for The Atlantic in part based on a, a membership list that he was given. Um, so we've already seen some of this come out. The problem is that those membership lists are um, inconsistent with the information they contain. So some people might provide a reason why they joined the organization. Some people might not. Some might indicate whether they had military or law enforcement stat- uh, experience. Some might choose, some might just sort of not think to mention it. And in other cases, some people might deliberately choose not to say anything because they don't want it to be known that another active duty uh, military member, let's say, is part of this organization. One of the other complications of this is when we think of organizations, we, we often think about the formal members in that organization as being the people that we care about. Right. So if we are interested in Oath Keepers, the organization, do we only care about dues paying members? Well, probably not in most cases. But if we don't, then it's even harder to think about demographic data. Um, so, for example, before Facebook determined that Oath Keepers violated Facebook's terms of service and removed them largely from the platform, Oath Keepers had a few big public pages that had collectively more than 100,000 followers and likes. Um, You know, you can imagine quite a range of of motivations for a Facebook user to like or follow a page, Um, but presumably many of those 100,000 were never formal members of the organization, never paid dues. Do we care about them? Well, I would suggest that we probably should care about them because they might still be they might still believe the same ideas that members of the organization believe they just might not have chosen to become a member on top of that you can actually find leaders within the organization saying at certain points um, something along the lines of you don't have to join my organization if i can convince you that i'm right you can be an oath keeper in lowercase, even if you don't 
pay dues and become a member of the Oath Keepers, my organization. So there's a clear sense of of people in the group even thinking that group membership is not all that matters. And then if you think about the fact that Oath Keepers is just one example of this broader trend of anti-government extremism within the U.S., there are other groups like three percenter groups, for example, that might be the only difference between whether someone joins an Oath Keepers chapter or a three percenter group might be which one is closer or which one meets at uh, at your VFW or your gun range or which one your friends are already in. So I think we need to understand Oath Keepers as an organization as just an example of this broader movement. And while I would love to see more demographic data, um, I think that in some ways that might be a distraction from what we should really pay attention to. Rick. Well, Sam, you've uh, sent a chill through my, my office uh, <laughs> because uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of program managers who do backstories and research and go on websites like the Oath Keepers. So uh, NSA probably uh, has my URL as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that leads me to uh, my question. Since you're in the College of Emergency Preparedness and Homeland Security, among other things, are there efforts, uh, local, state, and national governments that are tracking uh, those who they can identify as oath keepers and who represent a risk in their paradigm or their algorithm? That is a difficult question to answer for a few reasons. Um, I remember one of the first media interviews I did, um, the journalist asked me if there were if there was ever much law enforcement investigations into this type of extremism. And I very confidently said no. And then this journalist published a story three days later about a long running investigation into this type of extremism. So to a certain extent, a lot of the law enforcement activity that happens in this space, we might not know about it unless sure. it leads to an arrest. Um, I know that there are certainly intelligence professionals who pay attention to this kind of stuff at a higher level, um, but I think it would be challenging for any sort of law enforcement or law enforcement adjacent intelligence agency to track individuals unless they have committed a crime or are believed to have committed a crime because we have really robust First Amendment protections in this country. And it is difficult, if not impossible, um, well, let's, let's say difficult, to label an organization to be criminal where mere membership in that organization is itself a crime. Um, and Oath Keepers would howl at the moon for hours on end if anyone tried to do that to them. So instead, you've got to think about criminal activity rather than beliefs or affiliation with this particular organization. Okay, so Sam, that kind of that and, and something you said earlier leads to my next question, which is, is there much intergroup uh, cooperation that goes on amongst these various uh, anti-government uh, organizations um, are they do they see themselves as competitors with each other do they see themselves as allies is it a bit of both um, you know just how much 
interaction is taking place cross-group? I think it's probably a mixture of all of the above. Um, So there are times where we have seen organizations formally cooperate with one another. Um, To give you one example, in the summer of 2017, this Islamophobic organization called Act for America decided to have rallies around the country where they were going to protest the alleged um, Sharia lawification of the American legal system or something like that. And anticipating that left-leaning Americans would not like that and would come out to counter-demonstrate, Act for America invited Oath Keepers as well as some other anti-government groups to provide security for their marches. I was at the event in Syracuse, New York, and the primary contingent providing security was um, a number of individuals affiliated with the New York Lightfoot Militia. But there was also at least one guy in an Oath Keeper shirt. And I think we saw that in other places with these anti-Sharia law rallies where you would have different um, anti-government extremists of, of varying degrees of paramilitary disposition standing side by side as part of a so-called security effort to protect these Islamophobes from counter-demonstrators. One thing that observers of, of right-wing extremism have noted for a long time is that particular organizations are quite often driven by individual personalities. And, of course, that means that there are then personality-based conflicts that, that happen all of the time and, and, you know, egos clashing with egos. So I think ideologically, we often see these groups believing themselves to be allies in the same fight or maybe even um, maybe even more directly uh, cooperating with one another. Um, in other cases, we see them drawing lines between one another and, and decrying one another. For example, Oath Keepers at times has publicly stated that it would not attend certain events because the Proud Boys were going to be there. And Proud Boys were self-avowedly this bigoted organization. Proud Boys calls itself a, a, a Western chauvinist organization. I'm still not entirely sure what that means, but it seems to be a fancy way of saying we're a bunch of racists. Um, so Oath Keepers decided they weren't going to show up to, for example, the Unite the Right rally because of the alt-right pres- uh, figures who were organizing that. And there was a, another event on the West Coast that Oath Keepers was originally going to go to, but they pulled out because of the presence of the Proud Boys, because Oath Keepers is so adamant that it is not a, race, a racist organization or a race-based organization in any way. Fast forward to January of 2021. Oath Keepers were all too happy to be in the same crowd storming the Capitol with members of Proud Boys, as well as that guy who is wearing an Auschwitz uh, sweatshirt, seemingly self-identifying as a a neo-Nazi. So one of the things that complicates this is we might see alliances or cooperation in particular moments that aren't necessarily durable and that don't point to any sort of ideological agreement beyond these people are a threat. We need to oppose the threat. Okay, Brett, you're going to get the last question. Oh, joy. And uh, I'll try and make it uh, worthwhile. Um, So considering that the Oath Keepers um, intentionally target law enforcement and the military in their recruitment effort, 
Uh, how have the military and law enforcement uh, responded to, to that? I, I realize that a lot of police departments are, are independent of each other, but have um, national organizations or uh, federal agencies uh, taking a stance one way or the other? I think that, especially with law enforcement, we have not seen a lot of broad and explicit statements. Um, we might see condemnations of particular acts or particular individuals, um, but just off the top of my head, I'm having trouble thinking of broad law enforcement condemnations of groups like Oath Keepers or the ideas that they represent. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is that Oath Keepers tries so hard to present itself as an organization that is merely devoted to defending the Constitution. We've seen some um, media stories over the past few months that have identified current and former sheriffs, for example, who either had or have membership in Oath Keepers. And in the aftermath of January 6th, journalists go up to these sheriffs and ask them, why on earth are you part of this organization? And sometimes the sheriffs will say, I just thought it was a constitution-loving organization, and who doesn't love the constitution? I thought I was joining a civic organization. I didn't realize that this organization had any type of proclivities for insurrection or invading the Capitol or, or whatever. So Oath Keepers is really good at, at referencing, let's say, the founders or tyranny or liberty in these really ambiguous ways that resonate with people who maybe have a thin understanding of American history um, and who don't critically engage with events and ideas from American history and American political culture that makes the group sound more palatable than it is if you spend more time digging into what the group is and and who the group, uh, what kinds of things the group tries to do. With the military, it's a little bit more complicated because, you know, we've seen the military um, decide that it needs to take the problem of right-wing extremism more seriously, especially since January 6th. But this is a very difficult thing to do when groups like Oath Keepers can, to some levels of credibility, portray themselves as civic organizations. What legal rights does the military have to investigate and perhaps, I don't know, kick people out of the military if they're members of Oath Keepers? Well, I don't know the um, Uniform Code of Criminal of, of Military Justice, so I can't answer that question. That's one of those easy, pass it off, I'm not a lawyer kinds of things. But it's interesting to think about the political problems that the military or the law or law enforcement might have if they try to come out against a group like Oath Keepers in a really big way. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guests for this 472nd show. Dr. Sam Jackson, Assistant Professor in the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity at the University of Albany. We've been talking about Oath Keepers patriotism, and the edge of violence in a right-wing anti-government group. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. 
You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station K-A-L-A, San Ambrose University.